Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello, good morning to you. Welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's great to be with you today. We have got a fantastic show for you today. A bit later on, my good friend Richard Deckers from Flora Plant will be joining us and he is an absolute gun when it comes to indoor plants. He probably grows a large proportion of the ones that are actually seen in garden centres all over the country. Now, during this segment, we'll have some prizes to give away. This is your chance to get your hands on some packet seeds, which we'll we'll share with you. Um, and it's the it's five, so it's the five uh, best questions um, or comments about your indoor plants. And I'll show you why I wanted to, to catch up with Richard as well because. Um, We've just done something pretty special with our indoor plant wall, and I'll, I'll uh, allude to that a bit later on. Um, I'll be sharing my plant of the week with you this week. It's going to deliver a lot of colour. Um, Michaela's just jumped in now, so uh, I don't know whether you're aware, but pretty much all of us over here in the West at the moment are wearing masks, um, and that's because, obviously, uh, we have had what everybody seems to be experiencing Another bit of a COVID outbreak over here, and it's a bit uh, distracting. So that, that's the seed. So make sure you get your questions in when we catch up with, with Richard. Um, probably the most important thing to do is to make sure that you tell us where you're from when you're asking your questions. So post them online. Let us know where you're from. That is what state, ideally what town. That will help a lot with regards to identifying what your garden problem or issue may be and how I can help you solve that. Of course, a bit later on, we've also got our Garden Express deal for you this week. It is an absolute doozy. One of my favourite plants, something that you will just love. So keep your eye out for that. And I've got a copy of this book, the Rose, which is absolutely fabulous. It was uh, written by Nev Parsmore, myself, along with contributions from people like David Austin, who is, uh, and Anthony Tesla, who are obviously world leaders when it comes to um, uh, to roses and breeding and, and knowledge. And it's all about the latest and greatest roses from that period in time. So there'll be one winner of that. And don't forget, always hit the like button. Uh, let everybody know what you're, let us know most importantly, what you're enjoying. Now, the whole purpose of being here, of course, is to answer your questions. And the very first question we have came from Brian, and it's a picture which uh, I'm sure you'll be able to see uh, coming up on the screen. It's an interesting problem. He wants to know what the plant is and what's causing the issue. Um, this is actually a, a plant known as Petosporum. It's a native plant. And that blemish that you're seeing, that, that damage to the leaves, is caused by the Petosporum beetle. So 
Um, the treatment of that is a classic bug spray. So any of the bug sprays, um, bathroid being one that is quite effective as well. Uh, but it does take them out. The only thing is that there's no point in doing anything at the moment. Those leaves will have to fall off. New leaves will have to begin. So trimming the plant is a good way to go. Mandy is in Curram Downs in Victoria. And uh, I'm, I actually assume that um, I think that the potosporum that Brian talked about is probably from Victoria too. Um, Mandy is in Curram Downs. And where's the best place to plant a camellia in your garden? Well, I can just show you. I've been in my garden this morning. This was my plant of the week. I'll talk to you about it a bit later on. Um, they don't have a big root system. That's the first thing you should be aware of. They they take a while to establish, but they, they do have a fairly – um, solid root system around the outside. So it's best not to have competition around the outside of your camellias. Give them a bit of room. Um, the best place to plant one, well, if you want them uh, to be able to be moved around, then in a pot, that's a good way to go. If it's in the garden, then a semi-shaded position in the hottest states. And in the cooler states, they can go into full sun. So in Carum Downs, you will not have a problem with most camellia types uh, planted out in full sun. Uh, Leanne is from the northern suburbs of Melbourne, from Doreen, and she needs advice on tidying up her wisteria after after the next flower. So I'm not quite sure what she means by that, but which branches branches are best to remove and will new growth come from the main trunk, which yeah, I can see from your picture is is going to need to get some growth coming out. And the answer is yes. If you prune the branches off the top, um, all those those little little uh, smaller thin branches. It's going to encourage growth from the bottom for sure, not off the main trunk, but certainly off the branching um, uh, stems, those laterals that start to come out from there. Um, but I would, what I would do is I'd remove it all off the top and I would thin it back. Uh, the best flowers will come from what we call semi hardwood, so it's a slightly thicker, so probably about my my little finger in thickness, um, and what you'll see is you'll see buds emerge from the um, from the uh, growth buds from the will emerge from the nodes on that where the leaves and everything else will grow later on. So trim it back down, keep it to probably a I don't know probably just um, just looking at that plant. I would say you probably want to take about twenty percent of that of the wood off. And uh, just keep it sort of pulled back, so don't don't uh, let it grow too much. Best time to prune wisterias is actually in the summer. So after they've finished flowering, give them a prune again um, in the early summer, and it'll stimulate some more more growth and more flowering. Hope that helps, Leanne. I, know, I sort of stumbled through that one a little bit, but um, Jill, we're not sure where you're from, but you've got an Abyssinian banana. Now it's an ornamental um, banana, and uh, sometimes people call them banana palms, but they're they're not a palm. Um, it's produced a large flower, which you've removed. Will the palm die now or can I save it? This is spectacular and it's only four years old. This is the thing with Abyssinians. In fact, with all bananas is that, yes, it will, um, unfortunately, once it's flowered, it will die back. That, that main trunk will die off. But it will produce some suckers around the base and that's your new plant. So don't be worried about that. Um, you've taken the flower off. It'll probably keep the plant um, looking a bit more... Uh, healthy for a while but eventually it will die back and that's when those suckers will start to emerge from the bottom and what I would do is I'd remove if there's four of them I'd remove um, two and just leave two so you end up with two nice big plants. Jody is from New Mexico and New South Wales you're growing ivy geraniums in hanging pots 
how do I keep them thick and healthy? They seem to grow well over the side and they get too long and heavy and break off or die. Um, the trick with, with any of the ivy leaf geraniums is that you just keep trimming them. In fact, if you trim them in and around the pot, you'll end up with a lot of growth like that and then you can let some runners hang down a little bit. But, but the majority of that growth you do want to keep um, sort of compacted back to the actual container itself, to the outside edges. Don't be scared to trim them. They love it. It does them the world of good. And a little tip for you, when you have trimmed them, give them a feed. A little bit of controlled release fertilizer is a good way to go straight after you've, you've given them a prune. Barry's in success, uh, which is in WA, and my St Stephanotis. Um, it's an interesting way of spelling it uh, on the... On the <laughs> on the email in, but uh, on the uh, on your message in. But it's got two seed pods. Now, they look a bit like, and, and a lot of people will write in and say, I think I've got an avocado growing because they look just like avocados, the, um, the seed pods. Um, one is still growing. The other one's half the size of the growing one. The smaller one has just dried up and opened. My question is, the seeds are flat and wrinkled. Is this normal or are they immature? And the answer is, nope, they're meant to be, they're meant to be flat and wrinkled. And basically, as long as they're dry, they can be replanted and you'll end up with more. Tan is in Melbourne. Hello, Tan. I'd like to know if anyone has solutions to revive your mandarin tree. Now, we can see the picture of the mandarin tree. And Tan, I had this happen with an orange tree a couple of years ago. Unfortunately, there is nothing going to bring that tree back. That is, it's, it's game over for that. What's caused it is the, the interesting thing. And sometimes... It's a collar rot in around the base of the of the trunk at, at soil level. And um, it's a very important lesson to make sure that we keep soil pulled away from the, the base of the trunk of trees because if you get collar rot, it eats through the cambium layer and effectively it's starved off the whole tree. And um, that is exactly what it appears like, a root rot of some sort or a collar rot. So I would take that out. I wouldn't plant another tree in the exact same spot, but probably a metre or two on either side you should be fine. But that tree's got to go, I'm afraid, Tan. It is dead. Keith is from Moorbank in New South Wales. Hello, Keith. You've got a bay leaf tree and you've got, oh, yeah, small round brown spots on the leaves. And you're not sure what they are. Is there something you can use to get rid of them? The answer is it is scale and it's quite common with bay leaf. And the best way to get rid of it is to use a horticultural oil. Um, so eco oil, white oil, any of those will do the job for you. Carolyn is in Sutherland in New South Wales. Gee, we've got some questions flying through. Um, we've got Richard Deckers coming up very soon, so we'll be chatting to him. But I'll answer a couple more questions for you. Um, Carolyn is in Sutherland, New South Wales. Lots of marigolds and you'd like to save the seed. Can I reuse it now or do I have to store it? Um, do I also pull the old marigolds up? Well, if the marigolds are dying off, then the answer is yes, it's time to take them out. And that is the time to collect those seed heads, pop them into a paper bag and let them dry out. I'd, I'd leave them for a good month in a, in a cool spot. Usually the garden shed's not a bad place. Hang them up so it's nice and airy and there's a bit of, bit of air movement going through. Those seeds will then be okay to replant. Um, you do get a bit of variation, so you might find that um, the plants, when they regrow, are not exactly the same as the ones that you had before. But experience has always said that when a plant has gone into seed, when it's grown, and then it goes into seed and produces seed, the next generation, basically, it, it has effectively, the DNA has been adjusted to adapt to your environment so those seeds will grow a lot better and often if you can get two or three generations you'll find they'll start to self-seed thereafter so um, 
this is all about the evolution of plants. They can change quite quickly and adapt to the new environment they're in quite quickly. But the old ones, take them out. Scott is in Ipswich, Ipswich in Queensland. Hi, Scott. Um, how long does geofabric last in raised garden beds? It's a pretty good question. It should last for about 10 years. Um, geofabric is generally made of a, a non-organic um, material that, that won't break down. There are some organic versions of them made out of coir, and uh, they tend to be about a two or three year lifespan before they start breaking down. But um, the, the, there is a synthetic form of geofabric and it pretty much it'll, it'll be there for at least 10 years. So it's, uh, it's just a case to keep your eye on it, Scott. Uh, the geofabric's designed usually as a barrier to stop weeds coming through. I'm sure that's what Scott's up to. Sue, we're not sure where you're from. How can I get rid of onion weed? This is a universal problem. Best thing to do is to smother it out. So if, you, if you've got uh, newspaper, wet it all down, lay it over the top. Some of that organic geofabric, so the, the coir geofabric, you can get quite a thick layer of that and lay it over the top and then mulch on top of that and it'll smother the onion weed out. It's very, very rare that synthetic um, or even contact herbicides will work with onion weed because it's got a fine hair on the outside of the leaf and they literally, they run off and it's not absorbed into, into the actual, um, into the tissue of the plant. Anthony is in Greenbank in Queensland. Any idea of what's causing brown spots on your Licuala elegans? Um, a Licuala is a, uh, is a beautiful, and, and elegans in particular, is a beautiful palm and it's fabulous indoors. Now, brown spots on it could be one of two things. One is it could be damaged to the actual, to the actual tissue or it could be uh, scale. And I can't tell you which one it is, but I can give you a couple of tips. If it's, if it's brown spots occurring, it's more likely because the plant's getting too much water. So if it's sitting in a tray, um, that's usually an indication of root damage. If it is uh, a lump brown spot and you squeeze it and there's a, a yellow liquid comes out of it, that is scale. That's an insect. And in, in a potted plant, the easiest way to get rid of it is to literally physically remove it, so to wipe it off. Um, if it is a large palm, and generally they're not that large, uh, you might need to treat it. And you can, again, do that using white oil or horticultural oil. Kelly is in Collie. Kelly from Collie. Hello, in WA. Fallen in love with um, uh, Huturus, which is a beautiful foliage plant. They okay to plant out in the garden. Um, in Collie, it might be a little bit too cold for them, but they do actually prefer the cool to the heat. So they're a good plant to put in, say, underneath the, tr the shade of a tree, a particular evergreen tree. Um, what tends to happen is they do get affected quite badly by snails and slugs. So you'll be constantly treating those because you don't want the, the foliage to be damaged. But, yeah, they're a beautiful plant. Um, they do grow indoors um, quite well. Roz is in the Blue Mountains. Hi, Roz. It's great to have you uh, back with us again this week. When's the best time to prune a waratah? Well, the general rule of thumb is you'll only prune them after they've flowered. So, um, and and a one little word of warning is don't prune them too hard if you're going to prune them. They can be quite uh, fickle. Beautiful plant though, absolutely gorgeous. And they, they tend to do really, really well only in New South Wales and that high country. Um, there are some places in Victoria where they do particularly well. But I've had them in my garden and they really struggle over here in the West. So, and a lot of that's got down to soil-based bacteria. Now, 
we did talk about um, catching up with Richard Deckers from Flora Plant. Richard's the managing director of Flora Plant. They're a massive nursery growing some of the most spectacular indoor plants. And I wanted to show you our living wall here in the office and give you the, the whole reason behind why we're catching up with Richard because they, they are absolutely, this is one of those things that absolutely brilliant indoor plants to clean the air but they can also look spectacular as well. So we, we went off to Richard and we said, Richard, we're looking for some colourful indoor plants. And those colourful indoor plants, I think I'm going to be able to show you, look a bit like this. And maybe I can show you. Jimmy's working hard to get it up for us. Um, but it's such a feature statement that just so you understand why it's so important in, in our work environment is because what happens with these is that they clean the air. They actually take um, a lot of the pollutants that we find in the air and you can see the, the colour there now. So I rang Richard up and I said, Richard, I'm looking for some stunning indoor plants to put in our living wall and I want to make a bit of a statement. And this was the result and you can see it. So let's have a chat to Richard. I think he's out in the nursery as we speak. G'day, mate. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, good, good. Where, whereabouts are you? You're in the glass house. Yeah, I'm in the orchid house, so I picked a nice warm spot today. It has been a bit cool in the mornings. Does that affect the plants out there? Uh, it doesn't really because we're fully climate controlled. Uh, so the yeah. orchid house, for example, will we'll hold about 25 degrees out here when it was one degree the other day. So right. it's, uh, this is where we all run and hide in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. So just, just on that, what's the, the optimum temperatures for people when they're growing indoor plants would you would you recommend as a general comment look as a general comment um most of our indoor plants like it around the 15 to 20 degrees minimum um yep. but yep. orchids obviously the, the house i'm in now we want to keep it a little bit warmer than that and, and around 25 they will tolerate lower uh lower temperatures is obviously what flowers an orchid yep. uh, but you don't want to maintain a low temperature on it Okay, that's an interesting thing. Um, I just, I've got to point this out. We're going to ask people if they would like to ask questions. And if you ask a question or tell us about your favourite indoor plant, you'll be in the running to win some of these packet seeds. Now, Richard, just, just talk me through these, um, I suppose, the indoor plants that you would suggest are indestructible, the best ones for people who've never really grown plants before. Okay. Um, look, the most indestructible indoor plant is going to be a Zanzibar gem. Um, yep. These come in about three or four different forms now. Um, so we have uh, the black-leafed uh, Zanzibars, which we have Jungle Warrior, um, but we've also got a, a nice new compact one, which is called Zinzi. Uh, I've got a big plant here in the background just to show you the difference. So a big, big Zinzi plant doesn't quite yeah. have has really large internodes. Whereas you can see this one is very thick and very stacked yep. uh, on top of each other. So this, this is a great one for, for indoor use. Um, apart from that, we've got things like Spatophyllium, great indoor plants. Uh, if you want some colour, obviously we have orchids, anthuriums. They're, they're, yep. they're the go-tos for indoor colour, if you want colour, yep. so to speak. Um, and then we go down to things like philodendrons, and then you're starting to look at your, your variegations. That, that's what people are chasing, your devil's ivy. Um, your syngoniums and things like that. Okay, all right. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is uh, things like syngoniums in particular, Diffenbachia, those kinds of plants, they, they go really well, but if it gets too cold, if they're in a cool spot in the house, um, or if it's too dark, they can really start to deteriorate quite quickly. 
So what's the ideal growing conditions? Let's say we're in winter now, which we are obviously, and we're in a situation where um, we've got some warmer windows, let's say a north-facing window. Is that where those kinds of plants can go? But the ZZ plant, which is almost indestructible, can, can be down in the darker corner of the house? Is that the trick? Yeah, 100%. 100%. That is the trick. So ZZ plant you can put anywhere. Uh, and like you say, this time of year, find that north-facing window, get that warm sun on the plants. The sun's not intense enough to hurt the plant. Um, and yeah, and they'll thrive there. And not only that, you'll, you'll allow the soil to dry as it's heating up the pot. The soil will dry more consistently, uh, which mm. is a lot better for the plant. They carry on when they're, when they're sometimes too wet, too long and too cold. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask Jimmy to put some photos up of some of the plants, some close-up photos of our living wall. The, the plants that you've sent us um, were, really, um, were really, really quite um, stunning in their colour. Um, I think we've got a, little bit of a, um, we've got a little bit of a technical issue, Richard. Could I just ask you to reconnect um, your link for us and we'll come yeah, back okay. to you. Okay. <clears throat> All right, thank you. Um, now, so the indoor plants that we've got in our um, in our living wall that, that Richard sent through, you can have a look here. There's there's a bunch of them in there, but in particular the the orchids, the Phalaenopsis orchids, and these are sort of uh, dwarf forms of them, are just stunning. They really are beautiful. They come in a wide range of colours, whites and pinks predominantly. Um, the ones that I'm I'm really wrapped with at the moment um, that have really done such a good job are the uh, anthuriums. Now, you can see in the uh, far right of screen, um, above the still logo, you'll see that there's some flowers there. They're called the flamingo flower, and they've got those beautiful bright red flowers. But they also um, they also come in pinks and whites, and uh, they, they are just gorgeous. And the last one on the very bottom, uh, these are bromeliads, and bromeliads are also plants that perform exceptionally well and provide you with foliage colour variation. They, for me, have been like one of the, the great revelations in an indoor environment in a living wall. Living walls, Richard, they, they seem to have quite a different um, requirement, I think, to general house plants in pots as well. It's minimal water as well, which is what you're looking for. Um, but, yeah, look, uh, you're, you're picking the plants that, that, that are epiphytes and things like that that like to live around the trees and or the bottom of trees or in the tops of trees, which is ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, can I ask you, um, I think when I talk to people generally when they've got a problem and they're, they're asking about it, um, the, the and they, they sort of they'll tell me what the issue is, and it's usually one of two things. It's either too much water or not enough water. Well, what's the ideal watering? What What do you guys do in the nursery? Uh, look, this time of year, we're using very little water. So in, inside the house at the moment, you're going to have your heaters on during the day or, or before you go to bed, but you're going to let it cool down. So watering-wise, inside the house right now, I barely water once a week. Uh, yep. And I'd water very minimally because you don't want to soak that soil. You just want to give yep. the plants enough to, to evaporate what it needs to evaporate for the week. Um, okay. So that, that would be my my way of looking at it. Um, I always like to try and put myself in the plant shoes and, and think like a plant and uh, look at your yep. environment, feel your environment and say, okay, it's definitely cooled down. Um, I don't need as much. You know, it's a, an interesting thing. I was talking to a friend the other day and he's, he's explaining that if you if you actually look at your plants, if you 
you they'll tell you basically what the problem is usually they'll give you some pretty good indications one of the things that we're getting a lot of people talk about at the moment um, with some of the bigger leafed indoor plants is um, this issue of sort of dry patches on the outside of leaves or some dry spots. A lot of that's got to do with the fact that we're running um, dry heat inside our houses as well. Does it does it benefit indoor plants, do you think, when you're in that situation, you've got the heater going, that um, that they, they misted or, you know, because do you guys use a misting kind of watering system there? Uh, yeah, we're still running foggers here even even, even during the day. Um, so especially in these sort of tropical houses where we have anthuriums, spadophyliums and things like that. So, yeah, we are lifting the humidity. Um, you know, a good, good scenario would be a bathroom this time of year. With, if it's a north-facing bathroom, even better uh, mm -hmm. because you'll get the humidity off your shower um, and things like that for those type of plants. Uh, but, yeah, you will get a little bit of, of, of drying of the edges um, this time of year. Yep. So um, just to, I'm going to point this out again because we're getting questions coming through now, which is great. And I've got one for you in a second from Liz. But um, don't forget, folks, ask your question. You're in the running to win some packet seeds. So it's Andrew's basically told us that his favourite indoor plant is mother-in-law's tongue. Scott says he's got a ZZ gem. It's a jungle gem. And Liz has asked a really interesting question, Richard, and I don't know what the answer is. But um, do, do we know if Zanzibar gem are toxic to cats who have a bit of a, uh, like a cat has a bit of a tendency to chew on uh, on the indoor plants. That's um that's a very good question. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not going to say I'm not 100 percent sure. <laughs> you know, one of the things that that I do say to most people is that um pretty much you know unless a plant is declared that it's edible, um, work on the theory that it's that it's toxic. And you know, so many plants are actually toxic that we we actually enjoy. So tomato is a good example where you know the leaf, the stem, the roots, they're all toxic, but the fruit is delicious and good for us. So yeah. um, unless it's declared, you know, something to eat, I would keep the cat away from it. And there are a few ways that you can deter cats from going near um, indoor plants. And one of the simple ones to do is to use white pepper. So they're very, they've got very sensitive noses, as do dogs, and by just dusting them with a little bit of white pepper, um, the cat will be sneezing before it's chewing on the plant. So there's a there's a little tip anyway, but I didn't know the answer to that one either, Richard. We've both got a bit of research to do, I think. Yeah, I think so, a bit of Googling. <laughs> yeah. Um, Daniel's <laughs> from Bendigo, and he's asked, um, is devil's ivy best on a shelf or hanging from the ceiling in the bathroom? Uh, look, I think it'll perform the best in the bathroom, uh, but it does make a great shelf plant uh, as long as it's in the right spot as well. Uh, we've got them, I've got them at home personally on top of shelves and, the, and they go brilliantly there. So a little bit of self-preference there, but I think uh, bathroom always with that extra bit of humidity there is going to be a better environment. Yeah. You know, in fact, um, Daniel's question is a really good one and, and somebody's raised this as well, but um, Devil's Ivy is a good example of, a, of an indoor plant that um, it's called Devil's Ivy because if you chew on it, um, you hallucinate and people were seeing the devil. So that's how it got its, its, its little name. It is, it is toxic. It's probably only mildly toxic, but it's still toxic. Another one that, that has a horrendous history really is Diffenbachia, which comes from Africa and the traders, when they were, when they were literally kidnapping human beings and and shipping them across for slavery, would make those chop the the Diffenbachia stems up into small pieces and make them chew on it, and this would cause your tongue to swell up and stop you being able to communicate. So there was less chance of 
ever being some kind of riot on the boat on the way over if, if people were able to fight back. It's um, it's a, a horrible story, but, you know, it's, it's a good lesson in that these plants, you know, they're not designed to eat. They're designed to look good inside. Yeah, that's it. Look, look. At the end of the day, for for us, it's a, it's an ornamental plant, and and that's what we call them. Um, they're there to look good. It's there for its aesthetics. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But just to ask you, um, just with regards to uh, indoor plants, and we've we've talked about some flowering ones and and obviously some foliage ones, but particularly the orchids. A lot of people are asking the question with Phalaenopsis when it's finished flowering. Do I cut the stem off or do I leave the stem on? Um, look, you can cut with an orchid. You can cut above its node. So if we look at this one, for example, um, so its last node is here. Uh, we can cut on this node just here. I don't know if you can see that, that yep. node just there. Yep. Um, and nine out of ten times, it will throw a new shoot coming from, from that node there. If that doesn't happen, if we ha it's not the nine out of ten times, then, yes, the best is to cut it back at the base. Okay. And, okay, and it'll just produce a new flower next year. What what triggers? Yeah, the so uh, an orchid needs a winter, so it needs to sit a natural winter. So the best thing in Perth is to actually bring it outside for June, July. Uh, mm -hmm. Keep it under the patio. Obviously, you don't want frost and you don't want rain and and that sort of thing. So yep. up against the wall, under the patio, uh, eight weeks outside in winter, and, and yep. you will see a new eye come from the bottom. Um, and then bring it back in, put it in a nice northern-facing window where it's nice and warm, and that yep. stem will rise up and you'll get another a nice flower like this. That's brilliant, mate. Look, thanks very much. I've got my mate um, Gary Shannon's tuned in as well. I know he's a massive orchid fan. He's got a house full of them, and he's got a real green thumb as well. So it's good to see we're getting a good mixture of people tuning in today. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. I'm going to... Um, I'm going to move on because we're getting lots and lots of questions flowing through from all over the country. But thanks for your time, Richard. Appreciate it. And thanks for the plants for the wall. Yeah, no worries at all. Happy to help. You're a good man. See ya. Cheers, mate. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on The Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. All right. Now let's keep moving through and having a bit of a look. Christine's favourites, Anthuriums, Devil Ivies, the Silver Swords, uh, Swiss Cheese Plant, the Mini Monsteria, Golden Pothos and Spathophyllum. She's got them all inside. This is great. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's a really good example of some of the diversity of the types of plants you can have. We've still got one of five packets of seeds. So tell us your favourite indoor plant. Tell us why you love it. And you'll be you'll be our winner, and I know Michaela's um, got that list of people there for us. So um, we've we've just about given away all the packet seeds. Daniel is from Bendigo, and he's tuning into us from YouTube. G'day, Daniel. You've got baby snails eating your lemon tree leaves. Is there something you can spray on the trees to remove the snails? Look, any of the copper-based sprays will knock snails back. They're, they're mollusks, and they've got no tolerance to copper at all. So. Um, that's probably my, my simplest thing. There's, uh, there is a spray for the little tiny coastal snails called Mesurol. It, it's something you can use. It is, it is a toxic chemical, so please be careful when you're applying it. You would only really do it if you are in, in real dire straits, but if you've got them to the point where they're chewing on lemons leaves, um, that's, that's pretty bad. So 
maybe try the copper spray first. Then if you need to go to measure all, uh, you can. Remember, hit the like button, folks, if you like what we're doing. Uh, Benjamin is from Newcastle. He's tuning in again on YouTube. So we're getting a few coming through on YouTube. When's the best time of the year to do layering on plants? Now, layering is a really interesting um, way to propagate plants. And when we talk about layering, we're talking about damaging the bark on a, on a stem, wrapping it with peat, and then wrapping it around the outside with plastic and sealing it on either side. And what will happen is from where the damage was done in the bark, if you have if if you've covered it completely and it's dark, you'll start seeing roots emerge. So it'll cut what they call callus, and then roots will emerge from the callus. And what that means is that if you let them fill all the peat up um, with root system, you can cut that off, that branch off take the plastic away and plant the new root system straight into the soil and you've got yourself a brand new plant. The thing with it is that you can pretty much do it any time of the year, but there are some plants that are more responsive in the growing season. So any of the tropical plants, you're thinking of things like ficus or um, there's a, a lot of people doing things at the moment with fiddle leaf figs and things like that. That's when you would do it. But during the winter, some of the cooler climate plants, things like citrus, if you wanted to try with citrus, um, some of the things like uh, rhododendrons, uh, camellias, azaleas will all do well if you do it this time of the year. So I hope that helps you. Um, Dorothy, we're not sure where you're from, Dorothy, but um, you're looking uh, for some tips on how to prune a miniature persimmon. Well, I unless unless you need to reduce the size of the plant, I wouldn't reduce um, the persimmon's uh, branches. I would leave it. I think it's one of those plants, if it's a dwarf, if it's miniature, it will stay nice and compact and you'd only print it to shape. Andrew, um, could you give me uh, some tips on taking care of kangaroo paws? Well, right at the moment, Andrew, your kangaroo paws should be booming away. This is the time when they really do well. So um, you should see them growing. If you're going, if you're not seeing good growth, you're not seeing emergence of flower buds about now, now's the time to feed them with a controlled release fertilizer. So you don't want something that's going to release too fast. You just want a steady controlled release. So Osmocote is always a good thing to go to. Aruni is an apple cross. I've been adding coffee grounds to my veggie patch and pot plants. Is it not good for certain plants? Um, the answer is coffee grounds as a general comment are just a soil um, amendment. They, they're actually very, very good. And there are certain plants uh, or certain things like fungi, for example, that will grow straight out of the coffee grounds. So um, I would... I would suggest to you that um, just keep using them, but maybe don't let them get into a crusty kind of layer. Maybe try and incorporate them into the topsoil a little bit. And Aruni said that um, your favourite indoor plant is the orchid. Of course it is. How can you not fall in love with orchids? Anouk is in Western Sydney. I planted a number of bulbs um, and it's in a relatively shallow plant, only about six to seven inches deep. Is there an ideal amount of soil needed beneath the bulbs? And also, what can I apply, not blood and bone, to promote flower production? Well, um, you're not going to promote flower production by applying fertilisers. It really needs to be the cooler conditions um, for the vast majority of bulbs. Now, there are some that originate from places like South Africa that, that will um, be triggered by light, not by cold as such. But um, when, you, when you're talking about feeding bulbs, I would only feed them after the flower's been produced. And then when that flower has been produced, I would remove it at, once it's finished and I would feed the plant. And all the goodness will then go back down into the bulb 
um, and not into producing seed as a consequence of the flower being produced. Hopefully that helps. And and the shallow planters, perfect for growing most bulbs in. Amanda is in Goulburn in New South Wales. Let's have a look and see what she's got. She wants to know how often should I repot my indoor Phalaenopsis or Cymbidium orchids. Okay, so Phalaenopsis is the moth orchid. We were just talking about them before with with Richard. Um, Cymbidiums are very different. So they're a terrestrial orchid. Um, Phalaenopsis typically would grow in um, the fork of tree trunks and stuff in the wild uh, or on the side of a tree, but a Cymbidium would actually grow in the bark around the base of the tree. Um, so with Phalaenopsis, you would you could repot them pretty much at any time, to be quite honest. But using a good potting mix for orchid plants and doing it after it's finished flowering is the ideal scenario. Cymbidiums is the same. So basically, um, you split your cymbidium bulbs up when they've completed flowering. You repot them. So usually that's September, October, and they will start growing through the warmer months. And then in February, with cymbidiums, what triggers the flowering is light. So you need to move them out towards the end of February into a really bright position, um, leave them out in that position probably all the way through to the end of March, and then bring them back in, and you will find that they are um, that they're going to produce bulbs. You'll see new stems coming from the little pseudo bulbs at the base, and those new stems are going to be flowers. Kelly is in Collie. Hello, Kelly. Um, Philodendron, you've got a philodendron lickety split, which has just started to yellow. You've used slow-release fertilizer and liquid feed as well. But what's happening happening here? But still, it's still yellowing. Should you repot it or is it going to die? Your lickety split probably won't die. I think generally what you find is you need to give it a, a little bit of liquid fertilizer. Um, I would suggest that um, probably a combination of liquid on a weekly basis is the ideal way to go because um, if you're if you're providing liquid fertilizers they're only active for about five to seven days um, once you've applied it um, you should start to see it changing quite quickly just what I'd be looking for one of those sort of um, something like thrive that's a, a lot higher nitrogen because lickety split really loves um, like nitrogen that's so the, the the greening elements um, it really does uh, that particular philodendron lickety split does really love that a lot. So, yeah. Okay. So, what should we do next? I reckon we should go to the Garden Express offer of the week. I'm pretty excited about this one. And the reason is that um, in my garden, under the shade of trees, I can grow peony roses. And they have got this amazing deal on tree peonies. Now, if you don't know peonies, it's it's not a true, it's not a rose as such. It is actually uh, a woody shrub, and there's a perennial form of it and a tree form. This is the tree form. They've got, this is the guys at Garden Express, they've got a peony rose collection. It's a mixed collection. You can save 20% off right now, $12.90. Normally, it's $15.90. And they've also got a great value collection of four. So I think that's the $12.90 is for the single plant. And for the collection of four, it's a saving a 25% that's only $39.90 and that's the one that I will personally be going for because they are just gorgeous. And um, I don't know if we got we got some – did we put some photos up of those? No? Can I just show you? That's what we're talking about. That's what the flowers are like. They are just stunning. 
and they're fragrant and they, this is a plant that is a real collector's item. They can live for a long period of time. My recommendation is you get the four, $39.90. That's 25% off. They're regularly $53.20. Um, or if you just want to try one plant, take that other offer, which is 20% off, $12.90. Peony roses, they are just gorgeous. They're not true roses. They're a woody shrub. They're just one of those plants that a collector will fall in love with. Great thing about Garden Express is, of course, they deliver it direct to your doorstep. And in this crazy world where we're in lockdown all the time, now is the time to be ordering it and having it delivered to your home, to your doorstep, so that you can take it out and plant it in the garden. If you want to order them, order them online at gardenexpress.com.au. Ideally, do it straight after the show because they never last long, these offers. Now, we've got a few more questions that we'll move through. Daniel is asking about Morea hedges. Sometimes they get die back and start dying off with yellow leaves and then the whole hedge dies off. Is this caused by stem borers? No, Daniel, this is actually a problem related to soil. I'm not sure where you are. You haven't told us, but I suspect that this is something we would typically see in coastal environments. So, it's quite common in WA along the coast, places like the Mornington Peninsula, um, northern beaches of New South Wales, where you will see these plants suddenly turn yellow and start dying back. Now, the solution is to be getting trace elements into your soil, and you really do need to actually boost your soil quite significantly. These plants love iron, um, magnesium, manganese, all these vital trace elements, which you can buy in a bag from your local garden centre. But when you buy it, sprinkle it around, be quite generous, and then scratch it into the surface of the soil, then water it in. And then keep your fertiliser up to the plant thereafter. Um, that's the way to solve that problem with moraes because they are just one of the best hedges, but there is nothing worse than having a big long line of wonderful shrubs and one in the middle dies. So hopefully this helps you. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. Dennis is in the western suburbs of Sydney. G'day, Dennis. With mulch in winter, does it hold off cold or frost or hold in too much moisture? Is it okay to top up a bark mulch now? Um, mulching is a good thing. Uh, what it does do is it actually warms the soil a little bit, so um, it will protect uh, the roots, if they're near the surface, I think it's a really important thing uh, from my point of view to mulch sort of during the, the early stages of winter and then to repeat it again sort of November, January. So you're protecting the surface of the soil again where a lot of the plant's roots grow is through the surface. So by putting mulch in during the summer, it's holding moisture during the winter, it's keeping the ground warm. As a general comment, mulch is not going to hold too much moisture, so you should be fine, Dennis. I hope that helps. Anya, hello, Anya, and uh, a big hello to you or to us from you as well. Thank you. You love um, aeoniums. You're growing them indoors. You've got the purple, green growing in the same pot, and you love them because they make you smile. Good on you. That's fantastic. And you're also a big fan of maidenhair ferns, which you managed to save some from, an, from a neighbour. 
Um, they are so delicate and beautiful and they make your heart sing. That's really sweet, Anya. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, Margaret is in Belgrave, Victoria. Um, now, you got given a kokodama. So beautiful. If you don't know that, that's that, um, it's a Japanese technique of uh, basically wrapping the roots of an indoor plant or a plant, doesn't have to be indoors, uh, in peat and then, then it's then tied and um, this is then strung up and hung and it looks amazing but these plants do require a fair bit of care and um, the one that you have is a rose and I'm assuming that it's probably a, a miniature rose, I would think. The trick with Kokodama is to make sure that when you, when you get them, once a week you take them off the point where they're hanging because they're exposed and so they're drying all the time and you drop it in a bucket of water. Now, when I'd put it into a bucket of water, I'd put it in a bucket of sea salt solution and some power feed in there and I'd let it sit for a little while, soak it up and I'd take it back out and I'd hang it once it had dried out and that will give it a bit of a boost with feed but most importantly, it'll also make sure that um, the plant is, is nice and moist and, and it should only require this time of the year probably one soaking like that a week. Daniel, I'm propagating new plants. Do you use hormone, liquid, or honey? Now, it is a bit of a trick. Some people do use honey, and it, it can be quite effective with certain plants. Uh, one of the good things about honey is it's antibacterial, antifungal, and when you wrap that around an open wound, it stops any, any fungus getting in and killing off the cutting. Um, that's probably the primary benefit, I think, that you're getting from honey. When you're using a hormone, um, now you can you can get uh, the classic is rooting hormone powder, but you can also get the gel. And rooting hormone is a really important thing when it comes to growing plants. So um, I would be going for the gel. It's sold as Clonex, and it's what professional propagators tend to use. It depends on the type of cutting you're taking too. So you'll have a look. You'll see there's there's two types. You probably if you're going to have small thin cuttings then you, you're going to want to use something that is um, for semi-hardwood or for softwood. Or uh, if you're going to go for something that's quite thick, um, like a big thick stem, and that would be things like, um, at the moment, hydrangeas is, is a good, good example of something you grow like that. You want to use the hardwood rooting hormone gel, okay, because rooting hormone powder is really effective and it's what we used to use in the old days, but the gel acts just like the honey and uh, that'll seal it off. So if you're going to grow plants, yes, rooting hormone is really important. This podcast is brought to you by Still and Evergreen Garden Care. Still is Australia's most trusted brand of garden power tools, backed by 95 years of German engineering excellence. To get your hands on their range, visit your local Still dealer today or visit still.com.au. Okay, my plant of the week... Um, I wanted to wanted to show these to you um, because they've come out of my garden and I'm pretty proud of them. Um, this is Camellia. This is a Camellia japonica. Now, have a look at those flowers. Aren't they just gorgeous? And the shrub is absolutely smothered in them. But they're not the only Camellias. And this is sort of this pivotal time in my garden where you basically can have the three or four different types of Camellias all in flower at the same time. So Camellia japonica, Japanese Camellia. This one is the Sasanqua, which again is another Japanese type. These produce masses and masses of flower. These are the early 
uh, camellia. So these will um, come into flower very early. They're a wonderful shrub. Um, they're also brilliant for hedging. Uh, they can get quite tall at times and be smothered from top to bottom in flowers when they go into flower in the beginning of the camellia flowering season. Um, Japonicas sit in the middle of it. And usually towards the end of the season, I've got an early form, you'll see these types. These are called reticulatas. And have a look at the size of that flower. It's almost as big as my hand. And when you've got, um, when you've got, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 flowers on a bush, you can lose the, the foliage. They're, they're just so big. They're so spectacular. And one of the nice effects of them when they finished flowering is they drop their petals. You end up with beautiful big red or pink or white um, ground covering around the outside, which is just as pretty as well. So there's the three types of camellia. Um, with reticulata probably being the rarest of the lot, these reticulatas. They come in all different types and uh, sizes, and you can see just how beautiful the flowers are and the big open flowers. And you see the, the little stamens of the flower on the inside there. They're absolutely gorgeous as well. Now, if you want to grow these plants and getting the best results, well, probably in, in certainly in WA, it would be in a semi-shade position is my preference. They do grow in full sun here, but some, some of the variety, some of the cultivars can be a little more sun sensitive. And the rule of thumb is that the lighter the flower, so if it's a white, um, the more likely it's going to get sunburned during the summer. Um, if it's a darker color, more of a red, uh, they tend to do pretty well in full sun. If you're in somewhere like Victoria, even in South Australia, they'll do very well in full sun. If you're in uh, places like uh, the Blue Mountains in New South Wales, uh, they're going to do very well right out in the open. And it doesn't matter whether it's a reticulata or whether it's a sasanqua, they'll all perform pretty well out there. But when you're down in the city um, and it gets pretty hot, you, you really do want to have a little bit of protection if you can. So under the shade of a tree, ideally a deciduous tree so that you get uh, the foliage will drop, obviously, of the deciduous tree in the wintertime, but then you'll get um, the, the whole garden light up with these magnificent camellias. Camellias do originate from China and Japan, and most of the breeding has been done in Japan in the last 30 years or so, and that's the stuff that we're seeing in garden centres. So if you've got any questions about your camellias, now's the time to, to ask, and Andrew started off, wants to know, and it's a good point, so Andrew, typically Sasanquas can sort of maybe get to a maximum of 1.5 to 2 metres. There's some varieties that are a lot taller, and there's some dwarfs that only get to 500 mils, so they can be quite compact. So there's a variation. Reticulatas, they tend to be more of a tree, a small tree. They'll, they'll end up getting to 3 metres, um, they'll be smothered in foliage. What you'll tend to find is the, the, the trunk itself, it's more tree-like, um, and you, they all obviously share this, this common, beautiful, big, glossy foliage. And when it comes to the majority of the japonicas, which is these ones here, they tend to be sort of 1.5 to 2-metre shrubs maximum. Um, all, there, there are some really good um, – I'm asking for trouble here because there's some really good varieties that do get a little bit tall on that 2 metres, maybe even 3 but as a general comment, think about them as a plant that's going to get to around two metres in your garden. And when it is in flower, like these guys are here, there's one flower there, but you can see behind there's two buds. So there's two more flowers going to appear from there. From that flower, there's one more bud. And this is going to keep us in colour all the way through the darkest days of winter. And basically when we come into springtime, they start to rest a little bit. The flowers will finish. 
and they move on. Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made wolf garden tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Guru's Facebook page. So, how's that? Let's see if we've got any other questions. Um, remember, give us a like if you like what you're seeing today. Hopefully, I answered your question, Andrew, with regards to the size. Christine's in Perth. Hello, Christine. Just a question on initiating flowers on Cymbidium orchids. I was told that dropping the temperature in the evenings during summer was the way to go and that plants in the shade house with 50% shade cloth. Now, during the summer, that is moderating your temperatures is a good way to go. And certainly, I think Richard alluded to the fact that with Phalaenopsis, it's actually the temperature that triggers the flower. But with Cymbidium orchids, it's actually light that triggers the flower and that light needs to come through, believe it or not, in February. And the risk, Christine, is that um, in February in somewhere like Perth, you couldn't stick a cymbidium out in full sun without getting a fair bit of damage to your foliage. So what you want to do is have white shade cloth. Now, white shade cloth is different to dark shade cloth. Dark shade cloth is, is, is a true shade. It throws a dark shadow over the top of the plant and it cools it. But white reflects light and reflects light and heat off back out, but it also disperses it more evenly down in around the base of the plant, which is encouraging um, a wider, bushier growth and a more compact flower stem. So you still get nice flowers you know, coming out, but they're not quite as long as they might be in a dark shaded position. And sometimes if it's too dark, your cymbidiums will produce lots of growth, but no flowers. Hopefully that um, that answers that. Anouk has shared his favourite indoor plant. Um, after being a black thumb to every other indoor plant, a friend gave me some cuttings, the devil's ivy, which are thriving in various vases around the house. And, of course, that's the other way to grow them is in a vase of water. Um, so that's your favourite because it survived you. Well done, Anouk. That's, um, that's really, really good. All right. Well, how have we gone? We are, what, 10.53 over here in the west, um, nearly midday on the east coast, and we, uh, sorry, nearly one o'clock on the east coast, and we have asked a lot of questions. Now, we've chosen six winners of those Mr. Father Gill's packet seeds, Anouk, Anya, Aruni, Scott, Andrew, Christine, thank you so much. And the winner of our book this week, The Rose, is Kelly from Collie in WA. Kelly, Thank you so much for making your contribution and for everybody for joining us again today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed some of the plants we've talked about. Don't forget, if you have not grown uh, peonies before, get your hands on some peony roses. They are beautiful. And the way to do it is to go to gardenexpress.com.au. Now, if you've got any questions, remember you can always ask them on our Facebook page. Um, we will always answer them. Love answering them during the show and we'll be back next week to do it all over again. So if you want to hold your questions to then, don't forget it. Um, make sure you join us on uh, Channel 9 this Sunday for the last episode. Oh, no. In fact, it's on 9 Life. You will find the last episode of our Explore TV uh, Norfolk Island. Remember, you can also listen back to today's um, session uh, via a live stream. You can do it from our from our Facebook page. You can also get previous episodes and this episode from Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Audible. And I'm really looking forward to joining you again next week at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time as we answer more of your questions and showcase some more great gardens. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Trevor Cochran. Happy gardening. Have a great week. 
The Garden Gurus is back this weekend. Make sure you check out your local TV guide for your local times. I got my hole, I got my rig, and I'm ready to go.